0: Welcome to The Daily Face-Off Show, your everyday source for the latest news with top-notch insight and analysis, live every
1: weekday at noon Eastern.
2: What's up, everybody? Welcome into The Daily Face-Off Show. Today is Tuesday, July 12th. You hear that sound, Mike? Tick-tock. It's the clock. We are now less than 24 hours away from the opening of NHL Free Agency 12 noon Eastern on Wednesday. We'll be with you for three hours live from 11 a.m. Eastern until 2 p.m. Eastern. Excited to talk all that's going on in the hockey world.
1: Mike, how are you holding up? I'm pretty good. Did you just quote a Kesha song to start us off? TikTok? I think I hear my kids. They, they sing that in the car quite often. Yeah, I don't think I'm a, a big no. Kesha guy, but uh, okay. nonetheless, uh, <laughs> here we are. Uh,
2: and speaking of Kesha, there's a dollar sign in the middle of his of her name, and that's exactly what uh, a lot of these NHL players are going to be seeing over the next 24 hours. Let's throw two minutes and 30 seconds up on the clock, and let's start with the big news from Monday, and that was Penguin superstar Evgeny Malkin appears set to test the market. He notified the Penguins that he would like to explore what's out there uh, in free agency on wednesday you saw the report from rob rossi over the weekend in the athletics saying that he felt like maybe he's not necessarily feeling the love there seemed to be lots of back and forth mike on monday did the penguins offer four years did they not i do believe they had perhaps if not a formal then informal discussion about the idea of a four years times 6.1 million dollar contract that would match the AAV of Chris Letang that he just signed for. When it all comes down to it, put yourself in Evgeny Malkin's shoes for a minute. You've won three Stanley Cups. You've won a Khan Smythe and a Hart Trophy. You've made uh, tons of dollars. I would say almost $100 you have in your bank account. He said earlier this season, I rich man. What do you think? Uh, Do you understand the want to test free agency? Would you feel disrespected as the number two priority? Put yourself in his
1: shoes. I mean, are we really looking at this as just being a respect factor? Like Malkin's last contract was bigger than Crosby's. And uh, I'm sorry, Gino, you're not more important than Crosby to that team. And at this stage of the game, you've got to look around and be realistic and realize that puck moving defensemen like Latang, your teammate, your friend, they're more important. You can't replace those easy. And and that's not to say it's easy to just replace a number two center like Evgeny Malkin, but you know you also look at Malkin, man, he hasn't been healthy, Frank. Like, when's the last time he played over seventy games in a season? And that's I think that's a little bit that factors into it. But at some point you got to draw a line if you're Ron Hextall, Brian Burke, and I don't see this as disrespectful. I see what their contract offers as realistic, not just to the team but also to the market. And I just have to wonder, Frank, like if Malkin goes to why the free agency, like we all expect, like is somebody going to step up and offer him what he wants? Like, do you think that that is feasible that he's going to get way more of an offer than what he got from the Penguins?
2: Maybe at least in terms of AAV. Um, And I think that's, what's interesting and where you can begin to get creative for a guy that has struggled to stay healthy at times. You see last season just played half the game, still North of a point per game player and an impact guy, no doubt about that when he's out there, but the Penguins have cap constraints I think what's interesting, and, and you talk to people around the league, what could Evgeny Malkin do next? A lot of people seem to hint at the idea, since he is 35 and can sign an over-35 bonus late in contract, that he could be looking at a one-year deal for a low salary cap number that doesn't put a team in a bind, where they can kick the can down the road with some potential performance bonuses uh, that Malkin could earn, you know, upwards of $7-8 eight million for one season's worth of work and have a chance and perhaps maybe even realistically a better chance than Pittsburgh Mm. to chase a fourth Stanley Cup. How would you feel about that?
1: Well, he's a legend in Pittsburgh. If you really want to be a Penguin, put the put the pen on the paper. I think that's what it comes down to for me. Is that like if if it's a money thing, if it's a respect thing, then sure, go with dudes you please. But I don't know. He's going to have statues built to him in Pittsburgh, no matter what. And that one year deal probably would give him a better chance at winning a Stanley Cup. There are teams out there that are probably better positioned, but I don't know. Maybe I'm just a really loyal person when it comes to, and I always crave that when it came to teams I played for, Frank. Um, I could see that structure being beneficial to a team. I just think if you're Malkin, you have to look at it. Do I want to retire a Penguin or not? That's what it comes down to.
2: Yeah, I, I think that's what it comes down to. And I think the way that this has played out, they had an opportunity to get this done a long time ago, maybe even months ago during the season. The Penguins were slow to act. And in the end, I think they have no one to blame here but themselves and not being able to get Evgeny Malkin signed. I think you know I'm just taking a step back and saying, okay, if if I'm constantly hearing... Chris Letang is our number one priority that, you know, at a certain point you, you begin to get the mm-hmm. message, right? And you want to say, hey, um, maybe they're not necessarily closing the door on Pittsburgh. You see the Raquel, ricard Raquel extension that was signed on Monday evening, six years times 5 million bucks. That certainly eats up a lot of what they'd be willing or able to offer. Uh, but I still think the Penguins had it all mapped out where they were in a spot where they were saying, let's get Raquel done, let's get Malkin done, let's get Letang done, which they already did. They've gotten Rust done. Let's see what else we have left, and if we need to move a defenseman, whether it's John Marino, or if we need to, um, you know, not bring back Kesberry Kapanen and trade him somewhere. They've got options in order to try and make this work to run it back again. But my big thing is, man, that's a lot of term for those guys: Latang, Rust, and Raquel. Uh, could be some tough days ahead in Pittsburgh and no guarantee that they're even uh, a significant contender this upcoming season as well. Let's move on to the latest on Johnny Gaudreau and what's happening with the Calgary Flames. Mike, I reported this morning that the Calgary Flames have tabled an offer to Johnny Gaudreau and increased it in the last 24 hours. My sense is somewhere north of $10 million a year on an eight year deal. And that would make him not only the highest paid player in Calgary flames history, but in addition to that, one of the very highest paid players of all time in the NHL, um, Johnny Gaudreau, this is coming down to the wire. You know, we mentioned the clock and it's now less than 12 hours away from them getting something done with their final stretch of ability to offer an eight year deal. Um, What's your sense of where this is heading when you see this play out the way that it has? I said yesterday the term I used was if he's coming back, he's had a really funny way of showing the Calgary Flames that he wants to. But I think the fact that they've, you know, potentially engaged here in the last 24 hours a little bit more on some of that dialogue and an increased offer, you know, it sort of makes you wonder is something that didn't seem like it was about the money something
1: suddenly about the money? Maybe if that extra eight. 10, 12, however many million bucks you're going to be able to, to slip in on the back end of the deal. Uh, maybe it is more enticing than we think. And, you know, it's gone from yesterday. I was thinking about the John Tavares deal to today, starting to think about Steven Stamco signing his deal to remain in Tampa Bay. And that was a huge decision several years ago, uh, quite some time, it seems like at this point. And, you know, frankly, when you get closer to having to make decisions on where to sign a contract, your heartstrings start to pull at you a little bit harder, you know, and, and it always seems like a good idea to go test free agency or maybe entertain the thought of going home if that's the Eastern Seaboard. Whether it's the Flyers, Devils, Islanders, take your pick. Any of these teams that would want Johnny Gaudreau, you, you have to start really thinking about it when you get down to the wire, and that's where I think a little bit of more, mo- little more money when you get that eighth year involved. I mean, geez, you could be talking about. I mean, potentially 70 million versus 80 million dollars. And you're going from your kids' lives taken care of to now your grandkids' lives taken care of if you have them. So it just it starts to factor Frank, but I still think what it's gonna ultimately come down to is is the gut feeling of Goodreads. Where does he want to spend the rest of his career? I think the dollars matter, but it's still a gut feeling.
2: Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, look, if you're getting, let's just speak in hypotheticals here. Uh, I don't know. Seven years times nine million—that's sixty-three bucks somewhere. And you also have an offer for let's call it ten and a half or eleven million a year times eight in Calgary. Is that extra twenty or twenty-five million when you've already earned north of a hundred million dollars in your career, regardless, going to change you know one way or the other your life and and how it how it goes? Like you know, to me, probably not. And it's easy to say when I don't have that pile of cash, but He's he's already a very wealthy man. You know, what more do you need? I would think that it all comes down to fit instead of that last, you know, cash grab, but I mean, it's also like I said easy to say cuz I'm not in those shoes. You know, to yeah, I mean, dude, potentially 20 uh, or 25 million on the table.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'd love a wake surfing boat, you know, but that's going to take an awful lot for me to pull it off. He could have 18 of those, I think, if he could see extra 20. So, I mean, money's money, man. Like once you make a lot, you still always crave More And if it's out there, why wouldn't you grab it? So, man, this is I'm envious that I'm not in this position because it's going to be a really difficult decision, I'm sure, no matter which way he has. And, you know, you try not to have regrets. I'm sure there won't be. But there'll be things that definitely will sting in either direction of this decision for Goudreau.
2: Yeah, coming down to the wire, and I kind of feel for the Calgary Flames at this point. They've put their best foot forward. They have the backing of ownership in Mary Edwards to go out and get this done. They're sitting there waiting with the checkbook. They've been waiting for six or seven weeks now. They've backed the Brinks truck up, and yet to this point, it's still been idling in the driveway of Johnny Gaudreau at the Jersey Shore there. So we'll see what happens, uh, and we'll talk a little bit later in Icebreakers about the potential of the Philadelphia Flyers or the New York Islanders and the New Jersey Devils, how they could potentially clear some cap space in order to go after Johnny Gaudreau, That's coming up in just a little bit. But Mike, some surprises on Monday as there are every year as we got down to the deadline for teams to issue qualifying offers uh, to their restricted free agents. 94 players did not receive qualifying offers, thus making them unrestricted free agents on Wednesday at 12 noon Eastern. A couple of the names that stood out for me, one, Ilya Samsonov in Goal. If you can connect the dots, and we kind of already have that, uh, Samsonov will be one of those guys that uh, is certainly going to be getting a, a sizable raise. The Caps think somewhere to three and a half million dollar range based on his arbitration case. But that leaves the Caps wink wink without any goalies to this point after trading Vitek Vanacek to the New Jersey Devils at the NHL draft. So we uh, all believe at this point that Darcy Kemper is destined for the nation's capital. But when you look at Samsonov, how much game does he have? He's a homegrown a first round pick and one of those players that, you know, feels like to me could easily rebound into form.
1: Yeah. I think with sono if you're looking at it, that he hasn't been able to grab the net. I think there's been concerns with, I mean, really his maturity level, you know, I mean, he's hurt himself off the ice. He's been in COVID. He's broke COVID protocols. There's just things there that I wonder if, if your team, you're thinking, man, I, we just, we don't believe in this guy anymore, even beyond the 3.5 million bucks it may be. So um, I, I think what we've seen, though, at this stage is you see Georgiev get his deal. I mean, just shy of $4 million. Samson is going to be very similar. Samsonov played playoff games this year Hank, and was very close to being a true number one in the league. So um, he's going to land. I'm not sure where the answer is for him, but he, he's something of... A building process at this point. Um, I thought it was really interesting to see Dylan Strome not get qualified with Chicago, not because I mean Chicago, we know is going down to the to the studs, man. We get that, but that's still a guy that had uh, you know, a great year, a first year that he's. Eclipse the 20 goal mark, 22 goals and um, put up a lot of points and keeps getting better. So um, Strom will get some interest. I thought that one was pretty curious for me as well, Frank. Uh, and I'm curious to see where he may end up because that's a number two centerman that you can plug in pretty easily with some playmaking ability. Uh, and again, his, his goal scoring production really went up this season.
2: Yeah, it did after a really slow start. He was a healthy scratch on opening night. You could kind of see the writing was on the wall there for Dylan Strome, and Kubelik is another guy that was mm-hmm. also pretty productive in the goal-scoring department a couple of years back. The guy that stands out for me, Sonny Milano. Trevor Zegras, yeah. the chemistry that they had together, a half a point per per game player in the NHL, certainly do a significant raise, but not one that the Anaheim Ducks couldn't afford as they still need to spend $18 million to get to the salary cap floor. I know that Sonny Milano has a concussion history and two seasons ago uh, was rarely on the ice, but why not give him one more year, walk him to free agency and see how the year goes when you're a team mm-hmm. that's looking for more talent. And by the way, we all remember that Trevor Zegras, uh, the alley-oop assist. It doesn't happen unless Sonny Milano bats it into the net. So no shortage of skill from Milano. All five of these guys that you see here on this board will end up in our top 50 free agents list, the new one coming out on Wednesday morning ahead of free agency. And we were touching on Samsonov and the goalie market. I'm really curious, Mike, to see now what the Toronto Maple Leafs do next Mm -hmm. in getting a second goaltender to play alongside Matt Murray after they acquired him from the Ottawa Senators On Monday evening, they get a third and a seventh round pick to take on Murray's contract with the Sens, also retaining 25%. So if you think about it this way, it was sort of akin to the the Toronto Maple Leafs signing Matt Murray to a two-year, $4.7 million per year contract, and they get a third and seventh round pick in order to do so. Still way more than Murray would have gotten on the open market, but... Can they turn it around? Does the relationship that Matt Murray has, not just with Sheldon Keefe, the coach, and Kyle Dubas, the GM, but also the Leafs' goaltending consultant in John Elkin, who he's worked with previously, do they think that they can rehab his game?
1: Uh, Clearly. Uh, Otherwise, you wouldn't be making this move because there still are other options, even though I think at this stage of the game, it really would have surprised me to see Jack Campbell be able to circle back to a team that really didn't offer him what, he probably deserved in the Maple Leafs. And and I'm not saying that what he deserved is a finite number, but he probably deserved a real look at being their goaltender. And the market's been so tight, Frank. So I think essentially what this is, is that the Maple Leafs Probably lost out on their first several options and realized, well, we have to do something. We have familiarity with Matt Murray dating back to the Sioux Greyhounds of the OHL. Uh, of course, John Elkins also has done some work in consulting with the Leafs and is the goalie coach of Murray previously. Keith was the coach of, of Sioux. So that's great. But... Familiarity doesn't always equal results, you know? And that's where the big question mark is, because we haven't seen Murray be dominant in three seasons. We haven't seen him even put up quality numbers in three years. And like I look at it this way, Samsonov is going to market. Would you have wanted Sam or Murray? And in my eyes, that would have been a tough call because I think the top, the higher ceiling is probably still with Samsonov. But you look at the lease situation, it's like, man, we know Murray. We feel comfortable with Murray as a person, as a player. And I think if you're trying to to Get a player's game back in order, Frank, that matters. So I'm not sold on it. I don't know if Murray's going to be the answer. I don't know who's going to play with him. They still need another goaltender unless it's going to be Eric Schalgren. Like, man, there's a lot of hope going on in Toronto with the goaltending position. And that's got to be an uncomfortable feeling for Kyle Dubas and everyone involved.
2: Yeah, I I think this was a check down option. I've said it before. I I don't think Mm -hmm. the Leafs intended to go into this summer thinking that Matt Murray would be their guy. I think he ended up being the best of what's available, given that some of these goaltending chairs seem to be spoken for at the moment. I don't think Shahlgren is going to be that second guy, but I also think someone like Samsonov is probably a little bit too expensive unless he's willing to take a a one-year try-it type deal and then potentially re-sign at some point during the season for more. Um, I, I would even say by virtue of pure opportunity, you know, a spot like maybe Buffalo would be better. I have an eye on the San Jose Sharks and what they do with their second and third goaltenders as well. Uh, what happens with Kakin? And Of course, they issue him a qualifying offer. Aiden Hill could potentially be on the move. I think they'd like to ultimately retain uh, James Reimer, but that mm-hmm. gives the Sharks... In, they're in an envious position in net because they have the ability to trade one of these guys in order to try and uh, send their bevy or embarrassment of riches in net uh, to somewhere else given the scarcity of goaltenders on the open market. Let's uh, dive into some potential trade talk with this week's edition of Icebreakers.
1: I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. Frank, we keep going round and round and round when it comes to cap space. And, you know, we're going to be stepping into that a little bit today. And, of course, this segment is delivered by DoorDash. Uh, When you look around the league and teams that need to free up space, I mean, what could they be doing to possibly make room for someone like a Johnny Gaudreau? We keep hearing like the Flyers, Islanders, like any of these big clubs that are up against the cap that have to make space. What can they possibly do? We saw the the, the uh, Flyers just decided to buy out Oscar Lindblom's contract today. That's one step. But what more could potentially be done to entice a big free agent like a Johnny Gaudreau or a Nazem Kadri to their team?
2: Well, that was sort of the first indication that we got from the Philadelphia Flyers that they may be in the mix to do something bigger here, like targeting someone like Johnny Gaudreau on the open market was that Oscar Lindblom buyout. I don't think they really wanted to do that. Uh, They were in a spot where he was the cleanest cut, the cleanest way to create some salary cap flexibility as they end up buying him out. But they need to do more if they're going to go after Johnny Gaudreau. And so all the three teams that have been rumored to be in on Johnny Gaudreau or to have interest include the Flyers, the Islanders and the New Jersey Devils. The Devils have cap space and they don't need to move any pieces out in order to fit him in. They may ultimately do so anyway. There have been a couple guys on our trade targets board. A new one is out. Right now on dailyfaceoff.com. And it features a lot of these guys. You see the Lindblom, uh, he's on there, but he was already bought out today. James Van Reemsdyke, the Flyers have explored some options on Van Reamsdyke. They're not thrilled with the price. One year remaining at $7 million, even though he's averaged 27 goals per season when you equate the shortened seasons in his four-year stint, this most recent stint with the Flyers. It's that cap hit that's causing teams to uh, to certainly uh, push back against the Flyers. And they're asking for a significant sweetener, I'm told. The Detroit Red Wings and Arizona Coyotes have both offered the Flyers a lifeline. They are asking for a first-round pick in return to move off of Van like I don't think that's the Flyers' first priority or interest at this point. I think they're in a spot where they much rather keep James Van Riemsdyk moving forward and hope that he has a great season. And if they're in the playoff chase, great. We'll keep him. If not, they're in a spot where they could potentially retain half on James Van Riemsdyk and get something in return should he put up another 20-plus goal season, which you can pretty much set your watch to. Travis Konechny and Ivan Provorov, two interesting names, both 25, both Ron Hextall draft picks, both signed to long-term deals, three years remaining each. And Chuck Fletcher laid the groundwork at this year's trade deadline. He did explore conversations for Connect Me, for Provorov. If I was interested in moving these guys as a hypothetical, what could I get in return? Which teams would be interested? And this would be the exact moment in time he would be using that intelligence if he was going out to try and create some salary cap space. So those are two other potential options. I would rank them in the order that they're exactly listed. Van Riemsdyk first, Connect Me second, and then Provorov third. As far as the Islanders, Anthony Beauvilliers' name has been out there for a while. And what's interesting about Semyon Varlamov, we all know Ilya Sorokin, Mike, is the guy on Long Island. Lou Lamorello has been pretty steadfast in his belief to this point that you need two goalies in order to win. It's not just going to be one guy carrying the load like Marty Burdur did for 73 games for Lou Lamorello back 20 years ago. That's not the case anymore. They know that's not the case. But it's also a bit of a luxury to have varlamov at one year five million dollars and they could move him somewhere else if need be the thing is if they were going to they probably should have done it two weeks ago before some of these starting goaltending positions seem to be spoken for at least at the very moment so varlamov uh, as a backup option Uh, if they need to unload him, a sort of break glass in case of emergency. And Beauvillier, I think there's been lots of interest in there for him. A guy who hasn't quite lived up to his cap hit. Tons of potential there, no doubt a skilled player, um, but has has struggled to kind of find that consistency in his game to get back to the level that the Islanders thought he could get to a couple years back when they signed him to that deal. So uh, that's where we're looking at at the moment on, you know, if the Islanders, if the Flyers are going to be, Going after Johnny Gaudreau, if you start to see some of these names on this list go or these teams make other moves, pretty good indication as you look at the chessboard and pieces start to move around that they would be the teams targeting Johnny Gaudreau.
1: Yeah. And that dynamic between Soroka and Varlamov, the Islanders, that one's really interesting because I think they're very happy there. But how many goaltenders are out there that can truly step into being... A number one easily like a var Varlamov, he could fill a lot of roles so makes you wonder what else from your trade targets list are you keeping an eye on there's a lot of names floating around right now frank
2: yeah there certainly are jt miller is at the top of the list um the guy in the second spot is blake wheeler and has been there for a while as the winnipeg jets continue to explore options mike are you surprised when you look at the jets in their off season as to how quiet things have been to this point it seemed like they were late getting started on the coaching search after Barry Trotz ended up uh, turning them down and going and deciding to to take a step back from coaching. Um, They got that sorted out with Rick Bonus, but they're no further ahead yet on reshaping their roster. I would think that, you know, today, tomorrow, the next day might be, if they're going to be making a move where the rubber hits the road uh, with regard to Blake Wheeler, but um, you know, no sign to this point. It's been very quiet on that front. Um, And I'm also curious about the St. Louis Blues. I reported on Monday that David Perron is very likely to hit the market. You would know living in St. Louis, the impact that that would have. The guy has only ever Mm -hmm. signed a contract with the St. Louis Blues in his career. He's played all over the place. Um, But St. Louis has been the place that he keeps coming back to. And you would think that given his success there, given the fact that he uh, was at times the Blues' best player last season, that they'd find a way to make some space. But I'm told at the moment that the team has been engaged on re-signing Nick Letty on the back end and that's where the majority of their space, in addition to also needing to get a second goaltender to play with Jordan Bennington, has been their focus. So the Blues don't have the cap space to make a significant offer to David Perron at the moment. They could ultimately end up circling back, but it seems like Perron might be going elsewhere unless they're able to create some salary cap space. I think it's still unlikely that Vladimir Tarasenko gets traded. His name has been out there. I think they've explored uh, the market for Tory Krug, but you know nothing really to speak of yet. Uh, I'm really wondering what Doug Armstrong has up his sleeve there in St. Louis.
1: Yeah, it's really interesting because Perron, like you say, I mean, he's been so good with Ryan O'Reilly and chronically undervalued, man. His contract's $4 bucks. So at some point, you got to get some money in the bank. I wonder if there's a trickle down effect where he may be able to may be able to circle back with that team. One more for you here before we take off. Uh, you had a report that Oilers defenseman Brett Kulak's going to be uh, going to free agency. Man, I talked to some people in Montreal before he went there at the deadline and they all said, keep an eye on this guy. He can skate. He can play. Is there pretty good interest you think out there for Kulak?
2: Yeah, I do. I I think when you look at the impact that he had on the Oilers blue line, his size, his skating ability, and also the fact that he was rarely in trouble for the Oilers in their own end, just sort of that steady, quiet guy that you crave on your back end, uh, that there is lots of interest. And I think the trouble is for Kulak and the Oilers as they went back and forth trying to keep the Stony Plain native in oil country is that... What what is he looking for? What does he want? Are you cashing in on a long-term deal? Can you sign him to a five-year deal? I do think the Oilers had a four or a five-year offer that was on the table. I think they presented a myriad of different things, including also a two-year extension to keep him at Edmonton and say, hey, you know, we'll address this later on as the salary cap begins to open up a little bit later, you know, in two, three years with the cap rising. You know how does brett kulak want to approach this free agency uh no shortage of options as i reported on monday the oilers and kulak's camp met were unable to find uh, common ground to this point, much in the same way that they've been with Evander Kane. Uh, they called Evander Kane's bluff and said, "Hey, if you think you can get forty to fifty million bucks, go ahead and do so on the open market. We'll see if the Kane camp ends up circling back and Kulak. I'm sure they will remain in touch with, as he seemed to be a strong stylistic fit. Want to keep in mind too on the Oilers front, Tyson Barry very much remains uh, on our trade targets board. In addition to Yesipov, Yarvi. When you look at barry yes there's lots of things in flux on the oilers back end including duncan keith who they formally announced his retirement today and of course, uh, Kulak potentially leaving, but Barry, when it's all said and done in a perfect world, I think the Oilers would rather not have that cap hit uh, dedicated solely to a power play specialist when they feel like Evan Bouchard might be able to step up and, and take that role. So we'll see how Ken Holland shuffles around uh, the chairs there on the Oilers back and they've got some significant decisions to make and, uh, and they have finally have a little bit of cap flexibility to go out and do it. It's just a matter of finding the right fits.
1: Yeah, Bouchard, Broberg, you name it. There's a little bit coming along there that could take some role in Edmonton. Frank, great job as always. I know we've got a lot more that's going to be coming here in the next day before free agency opens tomorrow. This edition of Icebreakers delivered by DoorDash. All your favorites and more delivered right to your door you can use those promo codes you see below us so if you're in canada dfo if you're in the united states dfo us that's going to get you 25 off your first order along with free shipping delivered by doordash you don't want you definitely don't want to cook today and tomorrow man there's way too much going on so frank great job
2: All right, Mike. It's time for our daily face-off. Inbox question of the day: hashtag Ask DFO. Thanks for sending in a ton of questions over the last twenty-four hours. This one comes from T.J. Smith. He says, "Could Mason Marchment be an Oiler if they don't get Kane or Giroux?" I think he could fit quite well there. Uh, TJ, to answer your question, I think the Florida Panthers are making one last-ditch effort to sign Mason Marchment. What a tough week it's been for the Marchment family with their his father Brian's untimely passing uh, last week at the draft in Montreal. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if this is maybe a little bit um, a slower approach from the Marchment camp, all things considered. Um, but uh, I think what Mason Marchman is looking at is somewhere in the three years to four and a half million dollar range. Something like the deal that Carter Verhage signed, Mm -hmm. almost similar career paths, Mike. I think there seems to be more questions about Marchman's game than Verhage if we're being fair, but the Panthers would like to take one last push to try and sign Marchman before he walks. I personally don't necessarily see him as, you know, quite, uh, as good of a fit for the Edmonton Oilers, what
1: say you? I could see him in Edmonton. And, I'm, and obviously, you're kind of looking at a replacement for Evander Kane on the left side. And that's... Listen, Mason Marchmont's a good player. And I love the where his career is now, what it's taken to get to the spot it's in. Uh, but I'm not sure he can fill that role if that's what you're looking for. I think he'd be a piece that works in Edmonton, but not be the best possible. So I think there'd have to be some trickle down effect. And I agree with you. I think the Verhage deal is probably really close. I was thinking for Marchmont somewhere in the four, four, two, five, four and a half range with a little shorter, a shorter uh, term on it, just because he's 27 years old and you don't have that big build out of past reputation in terms of at least in the NHL, Frank. But um, I think Marchmont's a very desirable, Piece for a lot of teams plays with some edge. It's got some scoring touch. He's willing to go to the front of the net, and there's not enough 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 of those players around.
2: Yeah, and that's sort of exactly the type of range four and a half million bucks that the Oilers ideally would mm-hmm. like to spend on their winger. Uh, I think that's the type of neighborhood that they'd be interested in trying to get someone like David Perron uh, mm-hmm. to come back to Edmonton. Uh, I wonder what other kinds of fits are out there. They still recognize all things considered that evander kane is likely the best stylistic fit has a pure finishing ability has the edge has the size uh that's sort of the range that they've been offering evander kane in as well so uh lots of things for the oilers to figure out this uh daily faceoff inbox question of the day brought to you by points bet canada mike that brings us to garbage time we are less than 24 hours from free agency what's on your mind
1: Anxiety and lots of it, and what leads into unrestricted free agency and and restricted free agency. And I'm telling you, man, like I did not enjoy this time of year at all. And I think a lot of that is because I was a depth player, and, and you know my livelihood depended on getting a contract every year. And you, I always thought there'd be enough seats, and when the music stopped, I'd get one. But there's always that fear, you know. And if you're a superstar. It's a little different. You're going to have options, but even for Johnny Gaudreau, it's this isn't easy. Okay, I understand. You just throw the money out the window and look at this from the personal aspect of it. There's some really hard decisions to make. Okay, and money doesn't cure everything. And then you got to hope that you make the right decision. Um, it's just. It's a time of the year where you want to get it over with. And the moment you sign that contract, man, it's party time. Cause you just, it's not because you're like excited about the money or anything. You're excited to you just be done with it, Frank. And I've got a piece up on daily faceoff now about a couple of my experiences with unrestricted free agency, just a couple of stories and examples of how things went for me. And, um, it wasn't always great. Sometimes it was better than others, but man, you what a nervous hockey player. Talk to him the day before free agency, Frank.
2: I feel like you just perfectly described with some of those buzzwords, what it's like to be an insider, on the mm. day before free agency anxiety nerves followed by party time because that means summer is right around the corner one more day to get through this edition of the daily Faceoff show has been brought to you by the 2022 double ihf world junior championship individual tickets are on sale now starting as low as 40 dollars. put your shades on come see the brightest stars in junior hockey coming to edmonton this august it, including certainly some of the players that were picked in the nhl draft last week in montreal so thank you to the 2022 world junior championship coming to rogers place in edmonton and mike that's all the time that we have for today's daily face-off show we'll be back tomorrow a three-hour special edition bringing you all the latest news insight and analysis from free agency 11 a.m to 2 p.m eastern You know where to find us right here. Subscribe on YouTube. We'll be streaming live on Twitter, YouTube, as well as, of course, dailyfaceoff.com. Keep it locked on the website for everything between now and then. And stay close to your phone. Put us on some tweet notifications because we got a lot coming your way over the next 24 hours. Buckle up. It's free agent time. Have a great day, everyone.
1: Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince.
0: but there's more. You gotta decide if the total amount of goals in the game will be over or under a certain amount and that's where the real strategy starts to kick in. Next up, you're picking who's gonna find the back of the net first and you're gonna wanna be careful because that's one that could be cooked early on In the game, and finally, you got to predict which period is going to be the highest scoring. Will it be a barn burner in the first, a shootout in the second, or a nail biter in the third? That's up to you to decide. Now, let's talk about prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff?